Well, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. Last night, my, uh, I was sitting with my, uh, uh, my family, and one of my daughters said, Dad, what is the sermon on tomorrow? And I said, well, the title of the sermon is The Death That Changes Everything. And uh, one of the daughters said, uh, oh, trying to keep it positive, huh? And, uh, and I giggled to myself, and they laughed, and, and then I began to think. It, it, it is about the death that changed everything. Today, we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus, but more than that. You see, when you peel back the death of Jesus on a cross, there was the heart that led to that death, and it was a heart of love for sinners like you and me. So I changed the title from the death that changes everything to the love that changes everything. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. In Mark chapter 14, we find that Jesus is making his journey to the cross. And at the end of chapter 14, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested. Uh, in Mark chapter uh, uh, 14, verses 53 through 72, he's led before the Sanhedrin where he's tried and found guilty of blasphemy. In chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, he's taken before Pilate, the only one who could actually command a crucifixion, uh, this Roman uh, ruler. Uh, and Jesus is brought before uh, Pilate, and Pilate found nothing wrong with Jesus, and yet wanting to appease the crowd, he delivered Jesus up to be killed by crucifixion. And then uh, Jesus uh, carried the cross with the help of Simon uh, of Cyrene, whose two young boys, Alexander and Rufus, watched uh, as Jesus and Simon carried the beam of the cross to the hill called Golgotha. And there Jesus was stripped. Uh, he was nailed to the cross by hands and by feet. He was lifted up and he was killed. Uh, crucifixion uh, was, uh, uh, first came on the scene of prominence around 7th century B.C. It was a common form of persecution and torture and capital punishment among the Medes and the Persians. In the 4th century B.C., Alexander the Great made it more common, and by the time we get to the 1st century A.D., where we are now in Mark 15, the Roman uh, Empire had used uh, crucifixion as its uh, common way of capital punishment among those who are slaves and those who are not Roman citizens. But even the great philosophers of the day and the people understood what a horrific death crucifixion was. Cicero uh, famously declared that the very word cross should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, from his eyes, and from his ears. Uh, crucifixion was a horrific death, and, and it is the death by crucifixion that we're going to uh, examine in Mark's gospel, the death of Jesus by a torturous death. But Jesus willingly determined that he would go to this kind of death, that this would be what would kill him. 
And he had told his followers that he was going to suffer and die. And they didn't really believe him. Sometimes they didn't even seem to hear him predict his own death. But now, as he's led to the cross, uh, they begin to see firsthand exactly what he meant. And Jesus was beaten. Uh, He was whipped. Uh, He was bruised. Uh, And then he was nailed to a cross to die. Alistair McGrath is a uh, theologian and an historian, and he wrote this. He said, Christ's pulpit is his cross. It is from the cross that he addresses the world. So what is it that Jesus declares from the cross? What is it that, what is this message that he is declaring by his death? I think that perhaps we hear him foreshadowing his own death in John chapter 15, verse 13. A familiar passage to many of us, one that is found on memes on Instagram and and one that is in one of the more, if you're looking at top 100 quotes of history, this would be one of those quotes. John 15, 13, Jesus said, Uh, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. I do think that this is the message that Jesus is proclaiming from the cross. The death of Jesus changed the world, and it's changed my world, my life. But his death is a powerful display of his love. In love, Jesus died so that we might live. Now, I want you to grab that and take hold of that. It is by his death that you and I might live. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53, looking forward uh, several centuries, inspired by the Spirit of God, penned this declaration of the death of the Messiah and the death of Jesus, the Son of God, when he said, by his stripes we are healed. This is a glorious display and a terrifying display of Christ's great love for you and me. So let's travel through Mark's gospel and his account of the death of Jesus by looking at uh, some particular passages and gleaning some insight on how that in love Jesus died so that you and I might live. Uh, Turn to Mark 15 and look in verses 12 through 14. This is where Pilate has Barabbas, a criminal, justly condemned to death on a cross, and Jesus, who Pilate said was guilty of nothing. And Pilate brings Barabbas and Jesus before the crowd there in Jerusalem, and he says, which one will go free and which one would you like for me to crucify? And the crowd said, crucify Jesus and give us Barabbas. In Mark 15, verse 12, Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. 
Then, verse 14, Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Even Pilate, who was no believer in God or follower of the things of God, saw that Jesus was innocent. He didn't understand why the crowd wanted Jesus to die, but he, in order to appease the crowd, gave them Jesus to be killed on a cross. Now, what does this say to us? If you peel back the, the, the death of Jesus and this passage, what is it that we see? And Jesus, in love, died so that we might live. And in his love, he who was innocent, perfectly innocent before God, took the punishment for our guilt in our sin. You see, the very design of Jesus going from heaven's throne to be born in a manger in a stable to live his life sinlessly and perfectly was so that he might be the sacrifice for sinners, so that he might take the punishment that my sin deserved. Jesus was innocent, yet he took the punishment of the guilty. That is love. And that is what his death proclaims. You look down a little further in Mark chapter 15, verse 31. Now Jesus is hanging on a cross, and the crowd passes by, and they wag their heads at Jesus in a mocking tone. And uh, they say he predicted that the temple would be destroyed, and that three days later he would raise it from its ash heap. And then they said, let him who declared these things save himself. The chief priests, beginning in verse 31, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Uh, they uh, had this idea that if Jesus really was as powerful as the people thought he was, then the way that he had rescued uh, people during his earthly life. You know, they believed that Jesus gave sight to blind people. They believed and saw how Jesus had taken people with lame legs and gave them strength and made them whole. They believed that Jesus had literally taken Lazarus, who was three days dead in the grave, and raised him up out of death and into life. They believed all of that about Jesus, but they could not imagine how one with such power would not save himself from such torturous death. But that's the message of the cross, that yes, he saved others, and yes, he could have saved himself, but because he was powerful enough to save himself, he chose not to, so that he might save us. Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What is that picture of a ransom? It's the price that must be paid to set pit prisoners free. Jesus said, I've come to die. I've come to die so that sinners like you and me might be set free. And Jesus, the powerful one, 
did not save himself so that by his death, sinners like you and me might be saved. He was powerful, yet he died to save sinners, not himself. In love, Jesus died so that we might live. He was perfectly innocent, yet he took our punishment for our guilt. In, our, in love, Jesus died so that we might live. He was powerful, yet he died not to save himself, but to save others. And I look again in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here we see the full measure of Christ's love for sinners like you and me. What his death proclaims is that the weight of sin's guilt and shame would be placed upon him. And that's the weight of, his, of, of my sin upon his shoulders caused his father to turn away. The loud cry from Jesus is the struggle of carrying sin, your sin and mine. As the sin-bearing sacrifice, Jesus gave his life for those of us all of us who deserve death, he became our sacrifice. That moment of dereliction where Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the cry of the first moment in all of eternity where the Son was distanced from the Father. And Jesus took that pain purposefully, because it was only through him carrying your sin and mine to the cross was he able to procure your salvation and mine. And Jesus was perfectly innocent, yet he took the punishment of our sin. He was powerful, yet he died to save sinners and not himself. Jesus is the perfect one. Yet he took our sin to offer us forgiveness. And Jesus, and Jesus displays what love truly is by his own death on the cross. It was only Jesus who could take the sin of the world upon himself. For only Jesus was perfectly sinless in his life. Jesus who is fully God and became a man died in the place of men so that you and I might get to God. And today, my prayer is that we would be captured by the love of Jesus that led him to die so that he might bridge a build, a build a bridge of life to us. So as we look at this truth of who Jesus is and the love that he has displayed, uh, well, what does this love mean to you and to me? What does this death mean to you and to me? When the love of Jesus displayed through the death of Jesus is applied to your life and mine through faith in him, then first we can have a life 
of freedom. And Jesus died to shatter the chains that bind us to death. In his death on the cross, Jesus took the chains of our sin upon himself so that he might shatter them completely. None of us want to be imprisoned. None of us want to be chained to habits and lifestyles that are uh, more powerful than our willpower. None of us want to be bound to a life that is destined for despondency and despair. None of us want to be stuck in a cell of our own guilt and shame, unable to escape, no matter the self-help that we apply to our lives. We don't want to be imprisoned by our life. We want to be set free to live. But the only way we can find that freedom is through the death of Jesus on a cross. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. When we by faith take hold this love of God brought to us in the person of Jesus Christ, specifically by his dying, when we take hold of that, then we are set free from the bondage of our sin, and we are brought under the grace of God. We're no longer uh, paying the wages of our sin, which is death. Jesus has already paid those wages, but now we are living in the free gift of God's grace that gives us life, life here and now. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're set free And if you are a follower of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus on a cross, you have been set free. You can live the life of freedom that Jesus has purchased for us through his death on the cross. If you have, by faith, received uh, this wondrous gift of God's love through the death of Christ on a cross, then we can have a life that's made right. I know when things are going wrong. I, I know when, when uh, uh, things in my life aren't sinking up the way that I long for them to sink up. It's like I'm trying to piece together a piece of Ikea furniture uh, and the directions are so confusing that I can't get the bolts and the, and, and the screws in place and it, it looks like a deformed chair rather than the way it's supposed to look. In the same way, when we try to do life covered by the shame of our sin, under the penalty of our sin, apart from God, separated from Him because of our sin, then our life is deformed. It's not the way it was intended to be. It's out of sync. We are living hopelessly because we're separated from God by our sin. But Jesus, through His death, has built a bridge to a life that is made right by Him. It's not made right by us, by our works, by our efforts, but it's made right by Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, so that we might be made right.
we are clothed in the rightness of Jesus, in the presence of God, for God's purpose to be made right in our lives, for us to escape a deformed and dysfunctional life. We need Jesus and his death on the cross to be the payment for our sin so that so that we might be made right. Jesus on the cross took all our wrong and he gave us all his right so that we might live a life that, that is right in the sight of God, that, that we know is the kind of life that we were always determined to experience. When we by faith take hold of Jesus and the glorious display of his love in his dying on a cross in our place, uh, we can have a life that is a life of freedom. We can have a life that is a life made right, and we can have a life in God's family. All of us want to have intimacy. All of us want to have relationships that are meaningful. All of us were made the very DNA of our soul we were made to have relationship with God. But because of our sin, we're separated from God. Because of our sin, we are distanced from Him. But if you return to Mark chapter 15, uh, at the death of Jesus, that changed. Look in verses 37 and 38. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and He breathed His last. He died. In John's gospel, it says that Jesus cried out and said, it is finished. Look at verse 38, Mark 15. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What is that a picture of? Well, the the veil that he's talking about, I believe, is that veil that covers uh, the entrance into the Holy of Holies. That's the manifest presence of God for the children of Israel. It was there in the temple. And, and in the Holy of Holies, atonement is made for the sins of the people. It's in that presence of God that, that the priest would come and, and, and make sacrifice for sin once a year. And, and it's that Holy of Holies that, that everybody wanted to get a taste of, of God's presence. But when Jesus breathed his last and when he died, the veil, that curtain that separated the people of God from the presence of God was torn in two. And, and, and I believe that it's a symbol of what Jesus has purchased for us, that we who once were far from God have been brought near by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're no longer foreigners and strangers to the commonwealth of promise and the promises of God. But now you and I, if we have received this wondrous love, if we have taken hold of this, uh, of the power of Christ's death for our sin on a cross by our faith, we are no longer strangers, but now we are sons and daughters. We can come into the very presence of God based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. We can enter, we've been brought into his family. We can sit at his table. We can feast on his blessings. Never will there be another time in our life when we are distanced from God and no longer part of his family, but now forever we belong to God. We are the sheep of his pasture, and he is our shepherd, and he has committed himself 
to us. And we can have a life of freedom. We can have a life made right. We can have a life in God's family all because of the love that changes everything. Can I ask you, has that love changed your life? Today, as we hear once again about the cruel death of Jesus, but the wondrous love that he displays, if you are a follower of Christ, I, I want to encourage you to live by that love, by the freedom, by the family, by the intimacy that he has provided between you and God. Live by that love. Experience that love each day. Bathe in that love every morning and express that love to all that you encounter. If indeed you're a follower of Christ, the love that has changed everything for you is the love displayed by Christ's death on the cross. So if you're a follower of Christ, experience and express the love of God that he has displayed. But if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you are still chained by your sin, if you are still powerless to overcome the, the, the guilt and the shame that your sin has planted upon your soul, then go to Jesus by faith. Look to his death on the cross as payment for your sin and experience the full measure of freedom that he offers to you. Look to Jesus and his death on the cross in your place. He took your sin upon himself so that he might give you the righteousness that he had. Today by faith, will you immerse yourself in that wondrous transaction of God's love and grace by clinging to Jesus, by looking to him and his death on the cross as the only hope you have to be made right in God's sight and come into God's family. Enter into his family uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. Don't live a second longer separated from your creator, but now walk across that bridge that Jesus has built through his death on the cross and become part of God's family. If you're here today, watching today, and you long to become a follower of Jesus through faith in Jesus Christ, then I invite you to cry out to God in faith. There's nothing magical about the words that we say, but it is the heart with which we say these words. The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus is God's Son and that God has raised Him from the dead, uh, if we confess it with our mouth and believe it in our heart, then we can be rescued. Today, I invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your only hope, to be set free, to be made right, and to be brought into God's family. Come to Jesus by faith and win prayer and in prayer right now call out to God in repentance of a life lived separate from him and come to him in faith expressing a heart's desire your heart's desire to cling to Jesus and his death on the cross as payment for your sin would you bow your heads with me and if you desire to become a follower of Jesus, to cross that line of faith, will you pray this prayer with me right now? Oh God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to pay the price for my sin through his death on the cross. I believe that he is your son. I believe that you sent him to die in my place for my sin. And I believe that you raised him from the dead 
so that I might be forgiven forever, so that I might have freedom, so that I might be made right, so that I might be brought into your family. Right now, oh God, I turn from my sin. I repent my life apart from you, and I trust in Jesus as my only hope for rescue. Today, oh God, will you forgive my sin based upon Jesus and give me a brand new life as I commit my life to follow after him. And now I give you all that I am, and I thank you for saving me. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If that was the cry of your heart and you prayed that prayer, I invite you to text Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to the number on the screen, and we'll follow up with you. Today, I pray that you might live in the freedom and the righteousness and the family that Jesus and his love has made available to you by his death on the cross. Now, Father, be glorified among us as we worship you in these next few moments. I pray, O oh God, that you would take hold of our hearts, that you would uh, speak to us, and that we would worship you, the only king of our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.